Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out and give us your money at westminstereffects.com. Also, make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook and join the discussion. You can also follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram and make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes. As always, we don't care if it's honest, just give us five stars. Uh, joining me via the interwebs today is... This is Bradley Cox. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, don't, don't I always go first? <laughs> but, yeah. I, yeah, but I'm always like the via the interwebs guy. Like, that's oh, okay. my... It's, take her, it's take like, her away, John. What is that, Pavlov's dog? Or what is yeah, that? pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, this is John Ross, Westminster Effects artist, and uh, what do I usually say? Church, oh, church nerd, nerd, church nerd from Lincoln, Nebraska. Lutheran, been, I don't know, dude. It's it's been like two weeks since I've been on the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, as life. as well as the one who normally goes first. It's Bradley hey. Cox. I'm the lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina, and I do not have a clever descriptor of myself. Such as me. Where did I go? I lost you. Oh, there you are. Man, this is just turning out to be a train wreck today, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so episode episode 29 and i am actually r- recording this from the uh the booming metropolis of corinth mississippi uh and beside me is one stan fields who you know that last name might sound familiar that's because he's my dad so say hi padre Hey uh, guys, good to be with you today, and <laughs> and sorry for what I created here. <laughs> we all forgive you. We appreciate so, that, Stan. <laughs> so I guess we'll keep in format. Uh, John, what'd you do in church this week? Um, well, I was on uh, I was on the worship team this week after having uh, uh, some time off. I was on uh, rhythm. Uh, for this weekend, which was uh, which was pretty cool, uh, we uh, we played some Hillsong Young and Free stuff, which is always kind of a kind of a riot to add uh, add some electric guitar tones into what's primarily you know electronic uh, electronic EDM style music. Um, oh, let's see, what did we talk? We wrapped up our um, Love Languages uh, series that brought us through the holidays, and we uh, you're, finished you're up. Your Gary Chapman, your Gary Chapman series. Our, yes, our our Gary Chapman tribute series. Um, which, which we even sold that book in the bookstore for Pete's sake. Um, I, I, I gather, I didn't, I never checked, but it said so on the screen. So I believe it. Um, yeah, we have a, we have a bookstore kind of, it's not, it's like a countertop at the back of the worship space, but, uh, whatever. Uh, let's see. What was it? It was, I don't remember what the theme was. I, other than, other than that, um, I didn't really try too hard to remember it before you asked me about it, but it was about Jesus, and Jesus is good. <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> um, well, we'll talk about the other stuff. To it. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll talk about the other stuff that went down. So um, we had a, uh, a kind of the typical holiday shenanigans go on in which a lot of our volunteers are traveling or with family not available 
And so we had some brand new people in our production booth uh, for the weekend. Um, and they did a fantastic job. Uh, really coming from very little experience and very little training. Um, had some issues with the lighting. Uh, kind of stuck on one preset for the entire service. So we kind of have this blinking blue light constantly <laughs> through the through the services um but uh everything was lit nobody noticed it was fantastic and uh and hopefully uh that gives those uh those people who stepped up the the confidence to keep doing it you know we know now, it's by uh, lit do you mean the lights were functional or lit as in the common <laughs> vernacular at the moment <laughs> the lights were functional yes. okay fair enough. i mean i suppose it was lit as well uh you know, I uh, had a had a few pick slides thrown in here and there, so I, yes. I guess that's that's lit, uh, if you will. Um, but uh, like but yeah, slid so the pick was, up the guitar. Oh yeah, yeah. You start from start from the bridge and and really and uh, it's you know only certain times is it appropriate and useful. But uh, I've I've got a lot of dad rock in my soul, and so that you know that that helps fulfill me. Um, <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing bass this. I'm playing bass this Sunday, so I might. I might try that on the bass. Just get a pick, dude. That is literally all I do when I'm on bass. Is is just. I mean, I don't do a pick slide, but just boom, boom all the time. Oh man, if, all the time. Because I I feel like the guy from Planet Shakers, um, or like Norm Stockton, or you know any of those crazy Spo- cool bass players. Spoiler alert: yeah. You are not. <laughs> what? Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, so Bradley, what did we do? I played bass. That was weird. And it was Colossians 1, and Pastor Barr only made fun of you once in his sermon. One time. So, yeah, right. I'm, I'm used to I'm used to three or four. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, it was a good Sunday. Um, I didn't – I started to say I didn't have a lot to do, but it my role in the service was not preaching and it was not – being involved with the worship team, but I did um, I did lead us through our Advent emphasis. We pushed Advent back a week because we lost a Sunday for snow, and so we actually did the fourth Sunday of Advent this past Sunday. And um, so, yeah, we, we walked through that, and I led us through Advent prayer. And then um, at the end, we had a missions emphasis um, after Pastor Barr taught from Colossians. Our, I think I think I mentioned this on a previous episode. Our our Advent series this year was Christmas in the Letters of Paul. So we we went through uh, well. We looked at a passage in Philippians. The second week we were in Galatians four. Um, I taught from Second Corinthians eight, week three, and then Pastor Barr was in Colossians one. Uh, God was pleased for all His fullness to dwell in Christ. Um, so that was our Advent series. And after we wrapped that up, we had a uh, video update from one of our missionaries uh, in Africa, uh, Jamie and Jessica Dunning. They're a super awesome couple that we uh, partner with at our church, and they sent us a video update uh, kind of the year end. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a great Sunday, great wrap-up to the year, um, picking Romans back up this week. We also uh, did that evening the traditional or res traditional uh, dropping yeah. communion that evening as opposed to what, when, we, when we normally do it on New Year's Eve. Uh, right. Tell Bradley, you've been doing that, well, and you actually do it as opposed to me where I just show up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> tell the people kind of what, what the deal is with that. 
It's, it's probably one of my favorite traditions at Res. Every year around New Year's Eve, we we have what we call a drop-in prayer and communion service. And so people, they come out, we give them like a two-hour window, and they come out by themselves. They come, they partner up with a, a friend or two, or they come as a family. And we we take the time, myself and the other elders, to pray with each individual and family over the upcoming year. Um, and most of the time people will, they'll come with, you know, some sort of like, here's what happened this year that was good, bad, somewhere in between. And here's what we're asking God for, what we're hoping for, what we're believing for, how we're being led by the Lord, you know, in terms of our thinking and what have you going into the new year. And so we just take the time to pray with them about that and just try to be led in our praying. And then we serve them communion. Um, and it takes all of, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes max with each individual or family or group. Um, and they're free to go. And the pastors and I are there for about two hours. Uh, but it's just so cool to get to do that with each individual person, family group, absolutely, I mean, to get to hear them say, you know, here's where we are. You know, and, and honestly, as sad as this is, we don't have a huge church. I mean, our church is not as big as, you know, Christ Lincoln, John, but, you know, we 300 people or so. Um, and sometimes that little drop in communion service for some of our people, not all of them, but for some of them, that that's a the one time a year, there was a couple of people that I felt like I hadn't really got to hear what's going on in their lives in a you know detailed way, uh, except for the previous year's service that we did. Um, so it, it was just a really cool thing to hear where people are, what they're thinking about, what they're praying through, uh, what they're struggling with, what they're excited about, and then to be able to pray with them and then serve them communion, bring them to the Lord's table is it's, it's one of my favorite things we do at res. Hey, so uh, this format, this concept is, is super cool and, and interests me. So uh, what I want to know is what's like the ratio for attendance for that specific service? Like you have like 300 people on the rolls. How many people on average come out to it? Um, it's hard to say. It varies from year to year. Um, okay. I, it, I, it would be hard for me to give you a number because once it starts, like this past it's Sunday night, of... it I didn't stop for two hours. So we gotcha. had we had a little we had a little seating area set up, um, and people generally come out. You know, they, it's it's spread out throughout that two hour time frame, and you know the first person that it was a couple that came in right at five o'clock. We did it from five to seven. And then it was literally, I finished with one and there's another waiting. I finished with one, there's another waiting. Okay. And that didn't stop until seven. Uh, and then, you know, right at seven o'clock, I looked up and everybody was gone and we had finished. And so hmm. we shut it down. But it's hard to say how many people sure. come out. I mean, maybe, you know, out of a church of 300, which, you know, I would be counting children in that. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe 150 people came out. Okay. Well, the, the, like the only the only reason I ask, and and I hate I hate the numbers game. It's like you shouldn't you know ask women their age, and you shouldn't ask a church how many people uh, right. attend their services. <laughs> um, but you know, realistically, that's something that will that really needs to be 
uh, addressed for, for planning if you're going to do something at scale. So like this would be an awesome thing, but you know, we've got like for, for instance, I, I just looked up the number because we had crazy overcrowding in the one to 11 service that we did on Christmas Eve. And there were over a thousand people in our worship space. Hmm. Um, that, I mean, worship space and then into the, I mean, Narthex, if you, what have you, the, the commons outside yeah. of the back doors, all the way to the back of the hallway. Uh, I mean, it was, it was insane. Like my family and I showed up late because my son couldn't find his shoes and whole things. And we ended up going to our other service on the same campus, um, in our, in our sanctuary, uh, style worship, which has more of a traditional, uh, bent to it. Um, but it was, it was just insane. And in, in between our three sites and all the services, not including the two family services that took place previously that afternoon, 3,500 people, which was insane. Ooh, and so when we're yeah. talking, when we're talking about those sorts of numbers, like how many people did you have like on, on staff for this drop-in service? Cause like the, like I said, the concept is super intriguing, mm-hmm. but man, I don't know if we could pull it off without having, you know, a battalion you know, ready and waiting. <laughs> how many elders pastors do you have? Uh, pastors wise that service the 211 uh, side, really just two and one per each site. So we have central and south. Um, central is, is the, is the larger campus, uh, by, uh, by attendance. Uh, as far as elders, Pastor Hutton has an elder team of eight, uh, myself included. Um, and then we also have community assistants who are familiar, uh, with th- that process. Uh, but, I would assume their comfort in leading individuals or individual families in private prayer would vary uh, between uh, people. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, our, our approach to the sacrament is, is, is somewhat, you know, different. And, you know, so there, there is more, you know, usually when we do it, it's more of a, a structured uh, piece and never really done a, a sort of drop in style but I think even that could be sorted out. It's more of the private prayer piece that we'd have to find individuals comfortable with that. Um, well, I'll tell you this for, for a church, our size, you know, 300 people. Um, we have three elders and we can do, I mean, I feel like I could connect with a hundred or so people. Now that's not a hundred individually, mind you, because sure. in some instances, like, the, I think one of the first families I prayed with, there was like 10 of them. You know, they had a, an aunt and uncle with them and grandma and mother, father, and a couple of kids. There was like 10 of them all at once. So when I say I could, I could serve 100 people in two hours, that's factoring in that there, a, a good bit of that's going to be in groups. Sure. Um, and that, that's the way I do it. So, um, Yes, you would have to have people that are comfortable, um, you know, praying with people personally that way. But there's a couple of other factors is one is you have to be careful not to let it turn into a counseling session. That's one of the things that we talk about, because one of the first things we do is we ask the individual or family or group is, okay, it's something to the effect of how do you want us to pray? What are you what's on your heart going into the new year, finishing up the current year? 
So we, we, we have some sort of question like that and allow them to respond. But I'm on I'm really on my toes with that, you know, particularly with people I know could go into a long dissertation about sure. what's going on is I'm on sure. my toes with that. And, and I, I have. I don't know what the word is, delicate, but yet very um, effective ways of just moving them along and going, OK, well, let's go ahead and pray or OK, what? You know, look at another person in the group and say, what's on your heart? Kind of move sure. it along so that that takes all of two or three minutes. Absolutely. And then I then I pray. I, I don't invite any of the people that are there uh, in the family or group to pray. I lead the prayer. Um, so I control that time wise. And then I serve communion. And now this might be where you guys would have to work out some things because I simply go through. Like as soon as I finish my prayer, I turn, I grab the elements, and I on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, sure. and I serve the group. And then when that, after they take communion, I bless them, uh, and I have a, I have a blessing that I do that I, I you know, I, I, it's planned. It's like two sentences, um, and then, um, and then we move on. So you, you have there, there are ways to control it, but I think if you thought of, okay, one pastor could probably get through a hundred people of individuals and groups in two hours. That seems reasonable to me. Um, okay. But in a church where, you know, you've got a couple thousand people and you figure, okay, well maybe half of them would come out for that. I don't know if it's the first time you do it, you know, you're probably gonna have a larger percentage come out. Um, the for first sure. Time. But it's, yeah, it's, it, yeah. there's some advantages to being smaller because, you know, things like that <laughs> no aren't joke. as hard. You know, yeah, um, no joke at all. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I I sure. think that's definitely something that that I'll that we'll have to take a look at, and uh, and hopefully uh, soon we'll we'll be talking about how that went. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. So, I'd love to so, hear how it goes. Yeah. So, Padre, uh, what did you do for church? <laughs> oh wait. Oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I, so, I sort of I I attended hours online, but don't ask me what was done or said because I was medicated. And uh, so, <laughs> significantly medicated. Significantly medicated, although not as significantly as the week or you know the few days before. But uh, but yeah, I could probably tell you more about what happened the Sunday before because I actually was at church and I played bass. Yes. And uh, of course, not medicated. A, not medicated. <laughs> However, I was already on that. A, not that time. <laughs> I was already on a liquid diet because uh, the okay. following Monday was about to get interesting. Right. I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit, but uh, uh, probably uh, it's kind of funny. Um, you guys harp about playing bass. I love to play bass. It's what I do. Somebody has to. And uh, so, but, <laughs> but for some reason, Christmas time brings out the most technically difficult songs to play, and the one <laughs> and the one in particular that I'm talking about is "Joy to the World" by Hillsong, which oh, just, sure. every loop through it just gets more complicated, but I nailed it. So thank you very much. Uh, nice. it, was, it was a lot of fun, but I did spend about six hours on it Saturday uh, before, before playing it on that, that last Sunday. So um, anyway, it was, it was fun. We enjoyed it. Good. And it was a Christmas thing. As, as is expected. As the week is, of Christmas. Yes. yes. Um, even though this will come out, what the sixth or seventh. I yeah. don't know. Something like uh, that. Depends, um, depends when I get around to it. 
we are super professional here at the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. Absolutely. If you didn't notice. Um, Totes professional. Right. So obviously, when you have a guest on, there's typically a story behind that. Uh, so how do we want to do this? Because <laughs> it's it's one of those crazy providential weird stories. And it's just like, what? And at the same time, there's things that can be learned from it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so do you want to start? I mean, it happened to you. <laughs> I, I, I can start. Um, so... So I've told this story, I don't know how many times already. and uh, But it hasn't been recorded. It hasn't, well, not audio. Sort of, it sort of has been in, in text on, on posts and that sort of thing. Um, and I think, I think to start, um, I think I have to go back a little bit before any of the big event happened or the big events that are, that are going, ongoing still happened and that is uh, at our at our church we have a uh, we have a class called Discover Crossroads. I attend Church of the Crossroads in Corinth, Mississippi and uh, we are we are big in volunteerism and getting getting the church involved in serving not only the church but the community and we have a uh, four week class that we do that um, tells newcomers and those who want to repeat the class uh, how the church is structured and how we we have what we call dream teams and get get people involved in serving in the church. And uh, we have uh, 20 some odd uh, teams that serve every Sunday and uh, all, you know, all volunteer basis. And, and they're all team leads and that kind of stuff. And the, the week that I teach is the fourth week, which is the last week, which is hopefully motivational into getting them to come through this class and at the end actually take a step to uh, to join either a small group and or a team. And for a long time in that process, I taught on uh, Philipp uh, Philippians 1, where Paul talks about to live as Christ, to die as gain. So I'm not going to I'm not going to try to quote that because it's not in front of me and I'm on the spot here on audio recording, so I will get it wrong. But uh, and 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 also unequivocally do not deny that the teaching that I did was very heavily Piper influenced. Okay. So, um, so we are completely okay with that here at the Westminster effects. We are. Well, <laughs> as I, as I have gathered, because I do listen, I do listen. And I am a, I am a fan. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Cody, does I that mean a... you finally got us a guest that actually listens to our podcast? <laughs> 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 I, I, have, I have no comeback for that because that isn't that's entirely true well part of it part of it is you know it's you know cody's my responsibility and i'm trying to keep him on the straight and narrow so i have to listen to make sure he did it right uh-huh but, but no i uh, edit most of that out if you like the raw recordings like that can be arranged <laughs> oh, probably okay um but um so so, and Piper, when he when he teaches this text, and I try to do some of the same things, I talk about what does it look like if somebody says they to live as Christ and to die as gain. What does that What does that look like? What should that feel like? How, how, how does that work itself out? And he always starts with the die part, right? He always says, "What does it look like to die as gain? What does that mean?" And basically, he talks about when I've when everything on earth is taken from you. Your your property, your 
possessions, your relationships, and your heartbeat, and your last breath. When all that's gone, and you can say to die is gain because I gain Christ, and that's far better. That is that is the crux of the gospel right there, right? Mm-hmm. That is valuing Christ above all things and seeing death as the ultimate win because right. you get to be with Christ. And the other side of that, of course, well, if I'm but I'm not dead yet, right? I'm still I'm still breathing. My heart is he's feeling better. I'm much better now. Uh I think I'll go for a walk. <laughs> uh, but since I'm still alive, that means that means fruitful labor, right? Right. Uh, so I'm got, I, you know, I've got things to do, and mainly for your progress and joy in the faith, as Paul says. So I taught that for quite a while, and then the curriculum got changed, and that's that's kind of uh, it's kind of changed over to a different text and a different uh, way to bring that about. But I, I use that to say, hey, look, you know. We have we have purpose in our life as as Christians. We all have purpose to come and help others along in their journey of faith for their joy in Christ. And uh, so, after teaching that for quite a while, and then so uh, I think God brought my circumstance about to where I got to. Um, um, use that knowledge and teaching along with uh, a, a severe, uh, what could have been um, uh, terminal illness um, to expand the gospel. And let me just tell say what happened. So uh, Cody and his wife actually were, were in Corinth for the week of Thanksgiving this this year or this past year, I guess I should say now. And uh, so uh, the night after Thanksgiving, we took them to one of our favorite restaurants. Uh, My goodness. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's JR's Steakhouse in Eastview, Tennessee. If anybody's listening, um, John and Angie, are, are they're actually uh, campus pastors at a church in Jackson, Tennessee, but they run this restaurant uh, during the week. They're, they're awesome people, and the food is fantabulous. It's... Uh, it's steaks, it's seafood, it's, I mean, it's, it's the works, right? It's all the, it's all the great man food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I ate everything. I had the 12 ounce ribeye, I had the baked potato. I got some of, Cody had some shrimp that I saw. I had the surf and turf, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there was uh, a big salad and there was rolls that had strawberry butter. And I'm talking about, I didn't, I didn't just, I didn't, I left nothing on the plate. Nothing was left on the plate. And uh, it wasn't what I've told people is it wasn't gluttony. It was feasting. It, it really was. <laughs> it really was. We hope. We, uh, hope. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it, we just we just enjoyed the evening. OK, we just mm-hmm. we just ate. It was so good. And uh, so that night <clears throat> at midnight, I woke up with a severe pain in my lower right abdomen. And uh, I figured, well, I'm, I'm 53. I just blew out the steakhouse, and, and uh, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. So as I told, <laughs> as I told people, I got up and I took a, I took a Pepsid for me, and I took a Gasex for my wife, <laughs> and tried to, tried to go back to sleep. 
Uh, however, two hours later, the pain was just worse. It was just excruciating. And I woke her up and I said, I think I have appendicitis. We need to go to the emergency room. So she woke up, put two different shoes on from two different pairs on the wrong feet, uh, went to the bathroom, realized her mistake, fixed her shoes, got some clothes on, and we headed to the emergency room. And uh, they they gave me a shot for the pain, which immediately, well, in 15 minutes, the pain was gone. Then they did a CT scan of my abdomen. And after they looked at it, the doctor came in and he had a very concerned look on his face. And he said, uh, the good news is your appendix looks fine. And the bad news is you have a mass on your left kidney. And he said, we're going to get a team together and see what we need to do about this. And he turned and walked out of the room. And Pam looked at me, my wife looked at me, and she said, the first thing she said was, who do you want to tell? And the first word out of my mouth was everybody. Um, and this kind of gets into a pet peeve I have of people who get potentially great or bad news and they keep it to themselves. And my, my biggest example is, is you know, ladies who, who get pregnant. Mm -hmm. They find out that they're pregnant and they don't tell anybody for like three months because I guess there's a window of, you know, in case something happens, we don't want everybody to get worried or whatever. But I'm, I'm thinking, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want the sovereign God of the universe to be notified that you're concerned about something now rather than three <laughs> months from now? How many people do you really want praying for you? Do you want six or do you want a thousand? You want as many people as can pray for you, or just as few as possible. Well, I'm on the, I'm on the, I, I'm. The, the Bible says if the prayers of a righteous man avail much, and I'm not really sure who's righteous or not. So let's get as many as possible out there praying. Maybe we can get a few more righteous ones in the mix to, to get some effect. That's fantastic. So, uh, so I was like, everybody, let's let everybody know. And she immediately gets on her phone and she starts sending out uh, word and uh, people start praying. And I'll get back to that in a little bit. Um, my next thought to her, I looked at her and I, after she's, she's thumbing away on her phone and I said, Pam, I have to do this right. I have to, I have to go through this in the correct way. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, no matter what happens, whether I live or whether I die, God has to get the glory from this. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. I wasn't sure how I was going to walk through that. Um, but that was my mindset from the very beginning. And I think it I think it went back to teaching Philippians one so many times from the past that I have to do this right. So. Then uh, a little bit later, the doctor comes back in and said, yeah, we, we, this, this tumor is, is pretty good size. It's at least 12 centimeters in length. And I don't, that's five or six inches for those who are in the United States and not on the crazy metric system. Um, <laughs> and unless you're a doctor, I guess they do still do metric system. But anyway, it's, that's a fairly significant tumor in a kidney because a kidney weighs only what about five ounces or so it's about mm -hmm. the size of a baseball um so um so it's 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 <clears throat> it's uh it's 12 centimeters 
and we believe it's cancer, but we can't, if it is cancer, you can't biopsy this kind of cancer, renal cell carcinoma. If you biopsy it, it immediately causes it to spread. So you can't biopsy it. The only thing you can do is take the kidney out and then biopsy and see what's see what it really is. So that began the process of, okay, so now we got to find out, we got to find a doctor to do this. Um, we have to, um, we have to schedule the surgery. We've got to get the surgery done. And then we have to find out really what it was and go from there. Um, and over the next couple of weeks, all that happened. We, we were suggested or referred to a doctor down in Tupelo, Mississippi, the home of Elvis and uh, Urologic, which is the <laughs> kidney center that I went to. Elvis and, uh, and Urologic. Yes. So, uh, so we went down there and we, and we met with Dr. Uh, Christopher Whitehead, who was just awesome. We had no idea that that caliber of doctor was in the area. He's a Mayo Clinic guy, uh, still has contacts with the Mayo Clinic. And he said, yes, we have to get this schedule. We got to get it done. Uh, he scheduled me for an MRI to get a better look at the kidney because he said that the CT scan that they sent, he, what he, and he's, he's really great when you're in his office, he takes the paper that they line the bed with and he draws pictures on it. So he drew, he drew my, he drew my left kidney and he said, what I believe I'm seeing here at around the tube that comes out of the kidney are, are swollen lymph nodes. So he's very concerned about the lymph nodes around the kidney. Um, then he scheduled me for an MRI. The MRI came back and uh, he then discovered that it wasn't lymph nodes that he was seeing in the CT scan. It was actually uh, extra and enlarged blood vessels feeding the kidney and the tumor. And he said, this is, this is quite concerning because um, uh, there's a potential for uh, quite a bit of blood loss during the surgery. So uh, he was scheduled out for six weeks of surgery. He rearranged schedule, got me scheduled for surgery on the 18th. I think that's right. 18th of December. Sure. We'll just I roll with that's that. Right. <laughs> um, which is a Tuesday. <clears throat> it was a Tuesday. Yes. I and, do remember that much. And uh, so the... Uh, I got my I got my pre-orders to uh, do the liquid diet on Monday and do the quote unquote clean out drink on Monday afternoon, and then on uh, on on Friday of the the previous Friday of that week, uh, I got a call that afternoon from the doctor's office, and he said um, through his through his nurse he said. Uh, I was thinking about your case in my quiet time, which got my attention. And he said, uh, he said, I was really, he said, I was trying to think, you know, just clear my mind, think about other things. But he said, your case keep, kept coming to my mind. And he said, um, he said, I was really concerned about the potential for blood loss. And so I called him, he said he called a mentor at the Mayo Clinic and had a procedure in mind that he wanted to do called a, a, an embolism of the kidney, which means blocking the blood flow to the kidney before actually doing the surgery. And so he called his mentor at the Mayo Clinic, told him what was going on, 
And the doctor at the Mayo Clinic said, absolutely, that is exactly what you should do. So they told me uh, on Sunday to start the liquid diet, do the clean out, and then on Monday show up at eight o'clock in the morning and they would do this procedure. It's kind of like a heart cath, but they, you know, they go in, they go in through the groin, they run up, they run a device up through the veins, find the kidney, find the inlet of blood into the kidney, and they put these little discs and block the blood flow to the kidney. And they were expecting just to go in and put one in and be done and then wait till the next day and then do the surgery. When he got in, he, he put one in, ran the dye and realized that he had blocked nothing because there were extra, so many extra branches off of the vessel that went into the kidney that one didn't really start anything. It took three. He had to block three different places to only get, well, he got 95% of the blood flow blocked to the kidney. And that was acceptable. But three instead of one uh, was, you know, it was basically three times as bad as what they thought it was. And uh, so uh, basically that, that procedure saved my life. He, he was fairly convinced that I would have bled out on the table had that not been done. So, um, so that, that happened on the Monday. Um, I was pretty much, uh, when you, when you cut off blood to an organ like that, it hurts. It was a good <laughs> bit of pain. Just uh, a little bit, right? It's <laughs> just a little bit. And, uh, so the, the, uh, the pain medicine they were giving me was, uh, was intravenously. It, it was good for about two hours and it worked pretty well for the first, um, 18 hours or so and then the pain was getting more and more progressive and by the end the last shot worked for about 45 minutes and thankfully not too long after that I was asleep for surgery on Tuesday afternoon um, and then uh, the next time I woke up I was uh, missing a kidney but actually feeling better even though I mean, I've got a I've got a 12 inch incision on my abdomen uh, had staples in it at the time, had a drain tube and, uh, and all that kind of good stuff. So that's the, that's the gory end of things. Everything, <laughs> everything has kind of gotten better since then physically. Um, uh, they had me, they had me up and walking the next day. Um, and, uh, you know, starting that road to recovery, making sure, you know, no blood clots, managing pain, that sort of thing. Um, so from that Tuesday, I went home from the hospital that Friday. Um, we were expecting at least a seven-day stay, but it was only basically three after the surgery. I uh, went home that Friday. Uh, the following Sunday was the last day I actually took a pain pill. And uh, and not that it hasn't hurt or have, I haven't done things that have hurt. Sneezing still is not good, <laughs> but, uh, but not bad. So, uh, but anyway, through the whole thing, uh, to this point, um, we've, we've just been extremely blessed by the encouragement, the prayers that, and, and the thousands of people across the country. We have folks from Seattle, Washington, who, uh, as far east as Orangeburg, South Carolina, that we know of that have been praying. And, um, 
and it's just been incredible. Pam, my wife was talking to a guy that we go to church with who is a, um, he, he does missions in Haiti and he's, he's back. He's a back and forth kind of guy. So he's, he's gone for a week. He's home for three weeks. He gets supplies and money and whatever goes back for a week and ministers for a while comes back. So he's kind of a back and forth kind of guy. And he has contacts all over the country. And he was, uh, Pam went, she, she does this thing with, uh, these, uh, pillowcase dresses. She, her and a bunch of ladies make these pillowcase dresses. They take them over to him and he takes them over to Haiti and gives them to the, to the girls over there. And she was over there making a delivery, uh, during all this and was talking to him. And he said, let me tell you, I got to tell you about this guy I was talking to in Orangeburg, South Carolina. He said, uh, he said, he said, they always share prayer requests when they're talking. And he said, I've got this guy uh, who's who's got kidney cancer, and I want you guys to pray for him. And, he, and the, the guy in Orangeburg said, wait, is his name Stan Fields? And he said, yeah. He said, well, our church prayed for him Sunday. Wow. And, and I don't, I don't I, you know, we lived in South Carolina. We lived in the upstate for 28 years. I don't know anybody in Orangeburg. I don't know a soul in Orangeburg. How does that happen? I didn't realize there were people in Orangeburg. I didn't either, right? <laughs> no, I'm sure there are wonderful there's some. There's some, have, and there's a really good barbecue place in Orangeburg. There you go. Fair I, enough. I have been to Orangeburg many times, but I've, you know, um, but never, I've never, you know, known anyone there, especially a church. And, uh, and just to, just to hear stories like that and hear, and hear how, you know, we, we've tried to keep the public as updated as possible. Close friends, of course, with texts and phone calls. And, but then once all that's done, you know, we, we, we've tried to keep everybody updated via Facebook and social media and just the, the responses and the, and the, the people who are talking about my story, who have, who have had life change come from it. Yeah. And realize that the greatest gift is not a healing the greatest gift is god's glory and if we can if we can just turn this to look and say look it's not it's not that it's not that stan is coming through this okay it's that it's that god is working in people's lives and changing them to see him as the most valued thing in the universe and that's that is what 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 it was about that's what i wanted from the beginning i wanted god to get the glory from this and to continue the story just a little bit uh, after the surgery that following Sunday, the surgeon called me that Sunday morning at 7.30. And he said, I know it's a little weird for me to call on Sunday, but I was just in the office. I saw your report. I saw your pathology report from the mass we removed. We got clear margins. The lymph nodes we removed were clear. All the tumors gone. We believe we got it all. Awesome. And uh, which, is, which is awesome news you would think to get. And it was, but instantly, I would say within a couple of instances, after getting that call and getting that news, my heart went out to the people who don't get that news. Yeah. Because Cody's lost a grandfather, me, a father-in-law, right, to cancer. He never got that call. He never got that news. And so you've got, you've got this delicate balance here to deal with. Because the news I got, as I told Cody, I, I got a reprieve, right? I've got what my message really was is you've probably got more time to get your affairs in order now. Because it comes to all of us at some point, right? We're yeah. all going to die. And we all really, 
if our if our goal is Christ, then to die is gain. We all have that gain coming. However, you know how do we how do we how do we help those who don't get that call to realize that you know if you're right with Christ, it's not it's not horrible news. It's not bad. You know news. Right. If you're going to be with Jesus and he is our he is our ultimate value, then it's better. It's far better, as Paul says. So that 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 now is is really on my heart. I really want to be able to somehow communicate to people who get the good call and who don't get the good call that God is still good. God is still glorious. And in both cases, he can and will be glorified if we see him as our ultimate treasure. So to communicate that to both sets is, is where I'm trying to find the balance now uh, to help with that. Well, and, you know, even kind of back to the beginning of the story a little bit where, where my point of view was, you know, we're, you know, Madre knocks on the guest room door, tells us that you're going to the hospital, later calls, says you found a mask. But by the way, you're still getting those couples pictures made with Kristen. <laughs> um, and uh, but when I when I got there, there was and maybe maybe some of it was to do with the fact that you were tripping on painkillers. Um, so obviously you are going to be considerably more calm anyway. <laughs> Actually, by, by the time you got through, the painkillers that they had got given me mm-hmm. were long gone. Yeah, I fair had, enough. I hadn't had a pain since then in my lower right side. Right. Um, that's where it started. Right. So by that point, and I will say through this whole thing, you would think that this would be a scary, uh, intrepid, horrible, <laughs> time for a family to go through. Can I I just honestly say I have not felt any anxiety at all through the whole thing. And it's been honestly one of the happiest times of my life. And I, I can only credit that to the grace of God that comes through for the power to live the moment that he's asked you to go through. I mean, it's like, like I said, my, my lesson before was heavily Piper influenced. This is a heavily Piper influenced statement right here. <laughs> Grace is not just the free gift of forgiveness of sins. It is the power to live the life that he's called you to live. And it comes at just the right moment. So through this whole thing, there's been zero anxiety, zero fear, uh, not worried at all about what the outcome might be, and extreme joy in seeing others respond to how God has worked through it. Yeah. And again, it's not it, the point was not that Stan gets healed of cancer and, and lives another twenty or thirty years or however long he chooses to leave me here. It is that he is glorified through it all, and people see that. That's what that's what we really want. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, really, I've had more anxiety but just because I'm an information addict. And I was like, give me information faster. <laughs> um, but, I mean, all, all things considered, it, for for a cancer diagnosis, it, you know, and even like I was saying in that hospital, it was, it was pretty chill yeah. <laughs> for, a, for a, you know, a bunch of people who just got news of, hey, this guy uh, has a chunk of something on his kidney. And uh, and Bradley, I seem to remember. We'll obviously leave uh, names out for 
privacy reasons, but I seem to remember uh, you having a story similar to that when we had a guy at Res who was killed in a car wreck when I first started attending Res. And if, if you want to go on that, then cool. And if not, then we can just edit that out. In terms of what? Like you're talking about... Uh... In terms of like the overall peace and uh, God-glorifyingness of the situation. Um, yeah, I mean, it... it I, and obviously it's, it's different because they, they got a different kind of call. Um they did, and you know, I remember that that time. This was four, almost four and a half years ago, I think. Um, I my grandfather was in hospice on his deathbed, um, you know, and you know, Stan, he, like you're talking about, a, a guy who really came to the place in his walk with Jesus where to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, that was him, you know, in that, in that passage that you talk about, Paul says, you know, it, it, it's basically his mission statement, um, Christ to be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So it, right. it, for Paul, it didn't matter if it was life or death. All that mattered in terms of his body was that Christ was magnified. Right. And I think you're you're at that place, and I think that's why you're able to say this was one of the most happy, joy-filled times of my life, as hard as this was physically. Uh, and I think my grandfather was in that same place. And and I remember this one particular morning, we were my wife and I, and my kids, we were preparing to drive down to the lower part of South Carolina uh, near the beach to visit him. And I got a phone call that this guy in our church who was on our praise team had been in a car accident that morning. Um, and there was some indication that it was serious, but at the time we didn't know for sure. And then actually on in the car on the way to see my grandfather, uh, who would actually pass away two days later, I got another phone call that this young man in our church who was in his early thirties, uh, had died. And so I, I went on to see my grandfather was there with my family for, I don't know, an hour or so. And then I rented a car. I left my wife and kids there. I rented a car and drove to Charlotte, which is where the accident had happened. And, um, and, and was with this family and I'll never forget. This is a pretty large family. So in, in this hospital room around this young man's body, there might have been as many as 40 people. And they, I walked in the room to them singing Blessed Assurance. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the guy in our church, you know, his face was almost unrecognizable because of the, the injuries he sustained in this car wreck um, and brain swelling and what have you. But yet here's a mom and a wife and young children and a dad and brothers and sisters and their spouses and their children and aunts and uncles all gathered in this hospital room singing blessed assurance and it was it was unbelievable to see, to to see that and hear that and um you're you're right Stan when you say and I resonate with it because um we all encounter people in our lives that don't get the good news. And I think sometimes for us, the question is, is the good news only good when the outcome that we desire come to pass? 
Or is it also good news when our preferences aren't met in terms of life or death? You know, I love what you said, Stan, like when when as soon as you get the diagnosis, you look at Pam and you go, I've got to have grace if I'm going to walk through, if I'm if I'm going to live the good news when I've just gotten some medically bad news. Am I going to live the good news? And and I think that to me is what resonates most about your story that you shared today is just that that heart cry from the get go that I'm not going to let the, the the facts of earth override what I know to be true uh, according to the word of the living God is that to live as Christ to die is gain and whatever the outcome. Uh, is naturally or physically, God's going to be glorified in this, and that's really good news for me, and that is my joy. I mean, that that's a lot of piper in what I'm saying too, but that's um, to me the the most beautiful part of this whole story. You know, I think that's that's where the question that we should be asking comes from. Is so many people when faced with an unfortunate circumstance or, or bad situation will ask, why do bad things happen? That's the question that drives so many away from a full trust in the gospel. Why do bad things happen? Because when you're asking that question, you're reaching for information that hasn't been made available to us. Why did God let this happen? Why, you know, why couldn't he have? Why didn't he? Uh, rather, because we, we don't want to look into ourselves and, and look around and see the evil that's inherent in, in our humanity. Because you know, when, when we ask the why do bad things happen, we don't want to look introspectively. We don't want to admit that, hum, uh, that our humanity is, is what is at fault. We want a, a reason from outside of ourselves, but it, it, we can't answer those questions, that, that question with, with that answer. We, we just can't. The, the right question to ask is, is exactly what you asked, Stan, is how will God be glorified mm-hmm. in, in this situation? It, it does nobody any good to ask why do bad things happen, but that's our first, you know, why did this happen? That's our first thing that, we, that so many of us want to ask. But, I mean, the, the whole point of, of this podcast is, uh, the whole point of the gospel is let's root ourselves in Scripture right. and look to know, Christ, you know? And, I, think and that, I, don't, I think that, I'm sorry, Brad, go ahead. Well, I, what I was going to ask, the question is, and, and, and I want to ask this to you, Stan, because I think, and I don't know much about John's history. I know a little bit about Cody's. I don't know that either one of the three of us have gone through something like what you've recently gone through. Um, and, and, and personally, I mean. Um, but if if the ultimate goal is God's glory and God sovereignly chooses through something that we deem bad um, – to bring glory to himself in my, in my life. If he, choose, if he chooses in Stan's life for kidney cancer to bring him glory, that's that it, in, in one sense, a, a category that we have in our minds, that's a bad thing, but is it bad for the believer in terms of the gospel? If it's actually bringing God glory, you know, it, it's, I think it's hard for the world to imagine, you know, the, the body of Christ 
thinking of things that are typically quote unquote bad as actually good because in them and through them God's getting glory and Roman you know we know Romans 8:28 God works all things together for good uh for those who love God and are called according to his purpose so what is good is God's glory and if God's glory is our joy that means even bad diagnoses for example mm-hmm. be, become avenues of joy greater joy in God because he's getting glory for it and, and I, I don't know if that makes sense Absolutely. and I don't want to I don't want to trivialize what you've been through no, no. I, I'm just curious makes, how it makes complete sense and it kind of brings full circle uh, because at the at the outset of the story I talked about how I used to teach this fourth week and now how I teach part of that is I talk about the sovereignty of God in using your past to bring people to a point to where that past is now useful, whatever it was, mm-hmm. to minister to others. And I talk about my firm belief in the sovereignty of God and how he can take a young boy who's hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, mm-hmm. sold into slavery, serving as a slave, falsely accused of attempted rape, thrown into prison for years, and finally, through all that circumstance, brought into the presence of the king, who is then who is then now made in charge of the kingdom to save not only that kingdom, but his entire family, including the brothers that started it all, by mm-hmm. selling him into slavery to save that nation from starvation. Yeah. And of course, we're talking about the story of Joseph. And the culmination of that story is when Joseph's brothers come into his presence and are trembling because they realize he now has the power to kill them all with a word. Yeah. And he says, look, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So God, God uses those situations. Did he approve of what they did? No, he still saw it as sin, but in his sovereignty, he he brings it about to save people. Did he yeah. did he approve of Christ being killed on the cross? No, it was abhorrent to him, but he brought it about for our salvation, right? It, Which is, you know brings up a, another piperism is that you you've really got to have <laughs> this episode ca- is just dedicated to <laughs> well, John and, Piper and DesiringGod.org. And just, just get ready for my just get ready for my recommended reading. Um, That's right. <laughs> um, you know. It, it, Piper always talks about how we have to have a category in our mind for a God who will sin sinlessly uh, and uses sin sinlessly for his glory, that, he, that he's able to do that through the cross of Christ, through the sin visited on you know, somebody like Joseph. And you know, Piper also says that you know, if God's doing one thing, he's doing 10 trillion things at one time because there before Joseph um, were his brothers, but also the you know the seed of the 12 tribes of Israel from which the messiah would come right. right and 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 joseph has no imagination for that at that point in his life i mean and neither do those brothers but yet here's what god's doing and preserving all of them and and so yeah it's we we also it seems like we have to acknowledge and be willing to 
find rest in our limited perspective, knowing a God who's doing so much more beyond what we could ever think or ask in every little situation that touches our lives for his glory, for our good, for our joy, reconciling all things to himself. That's, you know, um, I think that's, it's, it's every story, isn't it, Stan, of, of, of when we go through suffering like this, that's the, that's, that's the story for every believer that comes to understand to live as Christ, to die as gain. And, you know, this is, it's kind of where uh, Reformed theology or Reformation theology to include John Moore, since <laughs> you, just, you just had to stop at 1517, didn't you? <laughs> um, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road of this theology is, is one, the glory, and two, the sovereignty of God in literally everything right. in keeping all the quarks and gluons <laughs> you know to get super uh technical yeah. even beyond subatomic particles um and you know like bradley when you were talking a couple times ago it's like you know even even my trash knees like god did that for his glory somehow <laughs> which and by the way bradley you're you're more familiar with this you know where I get my my disaster magnet, injury magnet type stuff from? Oh, this really? <laughs> the fact that I'm always hurt. <laughs> We're always on eggshells with Cody. I've, I've played, I, I haven't played before surgery before, but I have played with a boot after putting a, a grade three sprain on my ankle. And then I think it was the a week and a half later I was playing playing at church. And then the week after that, I was playing softball and getting yelled at for Bradley by Bradley for trying a takeout slide at second base on a double play. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've helped you dislocate and separate a shoulder. Yes. And when I was in second grade, when we were playing football, and then you T-boned that Jack Russell on your bike. Yes. And, <laughs> but there's, there's a different perspective. It seems from, the reaction of an injury where it's like, all right, let's, let's get this thing fixed. And then, but that's different from, okay, I have this thing that needs to be fixed. Does that even make sense? It does. I want to, let me, let me pose a question that I think might help us with this and Stan, you can respond to this and then John and Cody, you as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, Stan, you said that when you got the diagnosis, you told Pam when she asked you, who should we tell? You said, everybody, let's tell everybody, let's get everybody praying. Um, And I think sometimes it's very easy for, um, you know, Christians to think that, well, if I get more people praying with me in the crisis that I'm in, that that's going to, you know, somehow make God more motivated towards the outcome that we want. And I don't think any of us would think that that's the point of getting more people praying, but there is something really sweet about having people praying like that and many, many people praying like that. And so it might be helpful just like for all of us to kind of weigh in on what, how are we to think about that as Christians in, in injuries, cancer, tragedies, car wrecks, um, the the loss of uh you know an older family member loved one in our lives like we get people praying around this situation what what is it that God's doing in the numbers you know and in 
you know, rallying his people together. What, how, how are we to think about that? What would you say, Stan? Yeah, there, there, we'll never know the complete power of prayer. I don't mm-hmm. believe until, until the other side and we can, we can see more of what actually happens. Um, but one of the, one of the great things <clears throat> that I think prayer does is it starts the process of God being glorified because we're asking him, the giver of all good gifts to give us what we can't do for ourselves, which is glorifying to him in itself. Mm -hmm. You know, this, here's a situation, God, I recognize it is out of my control. Here's what we, we, here's what we desire to happen, but God, we leave it in your sovereign will to do with as you please. And, and in that itself recognizes who he is for what he is and how he, how he works in our lives and that he is in control. And that's glorifying to him in itself. And the more people that is that are involved in that is the, is that much more glory that he gets. I mean, that's the, that's the point, right? It's, and it's so not good. to change him. It's not to change his mind about where things are going. It's about to align ourselves with his will and that makes it so much easier for us to go through it. I think that's that's part of his Absolutely. glory and the grace coming back to us and empowering us to walk that path. Amen. I mean, that, so that piece right there with the alignment of the will. I mean, even uh, even Luther in his explanation to uh, the, uh, the, the prayer. <laughs> hey, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> we got all these Piper references. It's time for Luther. <laughs> You know, mix it up a little bit. Hey, every right. every steak needs some pepper, right? Uh, <laughs> every steak needs some piper. <laughs> um, so, I mean, even as in his uh, explanation to uh, the Lord's Prayer in in his small catechism, I mean, when Luther explains the petition, "Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven," uh, it, it says right it says right there his understanding of it and i think that's our understanding of it is god's will is most certainly always done on earth and in heaven but we pray this petition so that our will may be aligned with god's will and that's you know that's exactly it is that you know god will do the doing as he sees fit when he sees fit how he sees fit so long as we trust in that i mean there's our joy there um to uh to to wrap us up here there's there's one story I didn't get a turn uh, John my goodness god to be Bradley fair said, Bradley said for no, all three of didn't. us to chime in he didn't no 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 he didn't no 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 I did and what's what's great is I can make it so he didn't <laughs> okay Cody you, you go ahead and then and then I'll wrap us up with well, uh, well to cite to cite story. one more uh non-piper theologian James White is going very off the rails fond. yeah very he's very fond more so when he's talking about soteriology the doctrine of salvation and how that comes about he's really fond about saying that God has ordained the ends and the means mm-hmm. um which is obviously true in salvation, but it's also true in within prayer is it's not, we're obviously not saying, Hey God, uh, I will totally do these things or not do these things. If you will do this in, in a quid pro quo, quid quo, quid pro quo. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. (laughs) Careful. (laughs) 
Oh goodness. Um, so it's it's not. Cody's it sweating. is not a this. It's not a this for that. We'll say that it's not a this for that. Um, but he has he's ordained one. We're going to be changed, and it's you know you see in the Bible that he has ordained that his pray that the prayers of his people would move him to do things. Um, it's not that. I don't know. I lost my thought there for a second, but sorry. Um, so yeah, See, go on, John. See, I should have I sh- I gone. You should have just cut me off. <laughs> All these distractions are killing me. All these distractions are killing me. <laughs> so there's <sighs> one. There's there's one. Uh, there's one story things. that uh, that I happened upon uh, recently. Um, that that's on this topic of uh, what many in the the theological space call theodicy, right? The mm-hmm. the <laughs> the why of uh of our lives and and this particular example is is brief and and i think it's a good uh especially the last sentence is a good punctuation um so i'm just going to read this excerpt it's from uh ken klaus uh, a lutheran pastor who uh who was the former speaker of a radio program known as the lutheran hour ministries and this is one of his daily devotions or at least a story is part of it so uh let me read this excerpt and then we'll get things wrapped up here So why do bad things happen? Here is at least one answer from our own ministry in Turkey. Walid, a committed Bible student and a volunteer of our ministry, informed us about his neighbor Omar. As Walid told us, Omar had been despondent since the death of his youngest son, Samir. Knowing that, we decided to put Omar on our visitation schedule. Two days later, we visited him. Omar's wife, Myrna, welcomed us with a smiley, inviting face. We sat down in the living room where Omar sat drooped over. His sad, quiet face was unresponsive as we started talking about Jesus. When we asked Myrna about his impassive reaction, she said, Omar has been like this since the death of our youngest child, Samir. Omar interrupted her, murmuring, why did God allow this to happen? Why didn't he intervene to prevent the crazy driver from running over my innocent child? And as he spoke, Omar cried. At the end of our visit, we left him with a pamphlet with the schedule of our weekly Bible study and a small synopsis of the Gospel of John. As we sat, as we left, we saw the wife holding her husband's hand. Knowing the cross Omar was carrying, we prayed and asked the Lord to lift the man's burden. When we were having our next Bible study, Walid's arrival, with Omar and his wife, surprised us greatly. We noticed a slight difference in Omar's attitude. As we were starting the session, Omar spoke. Can we study the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John? I was reading it, and it spoke to me. I want to know more about the spiritual reality of the eternal life. I do not know a lot about it. It is a revelation for me. Today, Omar is a member in our Bible study. He is also a changed man. He's experienced the joy of salvation. Echoing King David, Omar has said, I will join the Lord one day, and then I will see my son again. Meanwhile, I am living here with the knowledge that not even death can take away my eternal fellowship with Jesus, who is the true life. So why do bad things happen? In Omar's case, his son's death was the tragedy that allowed the Holy Spirit to bring this man to salvation. And for this, we give God the credit and the glory, not the blame. Sweet. John starts off with recommended reading. No, oh, there we go. So, uh, 
this is a recommended listening for this week, and this goes back uh, to one of uh, one of the show's uh, favorites, uh, a good friend of Cody, and that's uh, Westminster artist Ben Horton uh, with his project, The Hope Arsenal, and their recording of uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, as you listen to that, I would encourage you uh, to also head over uh, to staugustine.com and run a search for the story behind the hymn of It Is Well With My Soul. It is a, uh, it's a beautiful story of a man being brought to faith through tragedy. And it's a story that I, uh, that I, uh, love to hear and I love to tell, uh, and, and, and is certainly made, made better by the beautiful hymn, uh, that was, uh, brought from, uh, from the, the writer's words. So that is my, uh, reading listening for this week. Good. Bradley, what Piper book are you going to reference? <laughs> well, here's, what's, here's what's interesting. This this is actually not a book written by John Piper. It's actually a book written about John Piper. Um, it's called for the fame oh, for the fame of God's name. Um, a collection of essays in honor of John Piper is put together by Sam Storms and Justin Taylor. Um, a, a lot of the book is really a celebration of John Piper's life and ministry, uh, the impact of it, particularly his message that we're all familiar with of God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Um, the reason that I recommend this for, on this podcast is because um, in the book, there's a, there, there are actually some essays that wrestle with um, how do we reconcile that truth, that message, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, and that God's ultimate purpose is our joy, which brings him glory, um, you know, Christian hedonism, um, like how do we reconcile that with suffering, with tragedy, um, with difficulty in this life? And so there's some essays that raise questions about that. And actually, in, in the book, there are some responses from John Piper to some of those essays. And so there's some really good wrestling and back and forth um, with, you know, really, I think the essence of this podcast is God's glory. Uh, and our joy in and through suffering. Uh, so that's for the fame of God's name, uh, essays in honor of John Piper, put together by Sam Storms and Justin Taylor. I'll go next, but I need to remember the uh, the song title. Oh, let me go then. Go ahead. Oh, you're looking it up. Uh, my everyone, I'm sure, is familiar with the book uh, Piper wrote, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. Um, Piper also went through a cancer situation. Uh, he had prostate cancer. That's right. And the day before he went to his, uh, his surgery procedure, whatever he had done, he wrote a pamphlet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a small little easy read, 10-point uh, a little pamphlet. Uh, it's like two bucks on Amazon. You can probably get the electronic version for free at DesiringGod.org, and uh, is a great uh, reference to to talk about the things we've already talked about today about how to how to view what God is doing in and through uh, the cancer to bring Him glory. So that's my recommended read. Okay, so mine is the song My One Comfort by Dustin Kensru, but you'll find it on Spotify under uh, The Modern Post, and it's on the Water and the Blood album. 
Uh, it's basically a summary of the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, which I think is probably the best one sentence that's not in the Bible. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> because it is a long sentence, and I'm not, I'm not going to take the whole take the time to read the whole thing. Uh, so how about this? Uh, instead of one of my endorsed artists, Padre, how about, we didn't even talk about this, how about you send me a song that you played on the Church of the Crossroads EP that you put out a while ago? And sure. we'll end we off with that. that. We can do that. And if you want to be endorsed and get discounts and get uh, stuff played at the end of one of these episodes, and you're actively writing performing, not just like, hey, I have an Instagram account, that doesn't count. Um, if you're actively writing and performing and would like to be an official Westminster artist, fill out the application at westminstereffects.com. So here's Padre playing bass on something via Church of the Crossroads. Thanks for listening. Take it easy, everybody. Shines bright.